This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From BBC Science Focus magazine, this is Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Alex Hughes, staff writer at BBC Science Focus magazine. This week, I'm joined by Brian Butterworth. He is the author of Can Fish Count, a new book looking into the numerical ability of animals. He explains whether animals are actually able to count and how their numerical ability differs to that of humans. It may seem like quite an obvious question, but I think it's a good place to start with this, is to ask, what is counting? And is it the same for everyone and everything? Well, when humans count, they usually use counting words like one, two, three, four. And they use that uh, very often to establish the number of objects in a set. Uh, Now, of course, animals don't have counting words, so they can't uh, use counting words to establish the number of objects in a set. Um, So they have to use a different method. So when I talk about counting, I just mean a method by which an animal or a human uh, establishes the number of objects in a set, which technically we call numerosity, And uh, so in order to say that an animal can count, it has to be able to say or establish the numerosity of a set. And it has to be able to do something with that information. For example, say this set is bigger than that set or that this set plus that set equals some other set. So it it has to be able to do something with the results of counting, which is sort of equivalent to 
uh, or isomorphic with uh, the arithmetical operations such as uh, greater than, less than, equals to, uh, add, subtract, multiply, or divide. Obviously, there's a huge amount of animals out there, but as the nearest animals to humans do monkeys and apes and that kind of area so they have a similar counting method to us or is that also quite different uh, well neither monkeys nor apes use counting words but you can teach apes to use the digit symbols uh, you, you know our familiar digit symbols from you know one two three four so-called arabic numerals and they can uh, learn to match those uh, digits with uh, a set of objects. So if there are three objects, they'll click on the digit three. If there are seven objects, they'll click on the digit seven. And uh, some of these chimpanzees have had quite a lot of training, do this at least as well as humans and sometimes better. What would you say is the the best animal mathematician? I, would, it, would it be apes and gorillas? Or in your book, you highlight the ability of birds as being surprisingly good? Yeah, but birds uh, seem to be at least as good as monkeys on the same sorts of tests. In fact, they've used uh, the stimuli, the materials that you test monkeys with, with uh, crows, uh, for example, and crows are just as good as monkeys on these tests. I wouldn't say they're as good as chimpanzees, but the methods in which they've been trained is a bit different. And of course, there is a famous parrot called Alex, alas, no longer with us, who could actually use counting words. It, it took quite a bit of training, but he could say, if asked uh, how many um, uh, objects are on the tray, he might well say seven, if indeed it was seven. In fact, he could do quite well on this. So if you say how many blue objects are on the tray and there were seven blue objects, he would say seven. He wouldn't count all of them. He would just count the ones he'd been asked to. So that bird was probably as good as uh, some chimpanzees who've been trained. But there are chimpanzees who are better than, than Alex, particularly on a task where what you have to do is you have to touch each of the digits in order, having remembered where they are. And there, at least one chimpanzee, mind you, it started very young in his uh, training, uh, he could do it better than... Uh, Japanese graduate students. I think uh, there's a lot of famous examples of animals where when we've looked further into it, there's been a realisation that maybe they were picking up on cues or that they were maybe getting hints from humans in ways that were unintended. How, how do you know that an animal is really counting and how do you know when it's maybe picking up on a cue or finding a way around that methodology? That's a, a very good question. I mean, there is a famous case of the horse, Clever Hans, who was terrifically good, apparently, at uh, calculation. He could find uh, squares, he could find square roots, as well as doing all the usual calculations. And uh, people couldn't figure out how he did it. It turns out that he was particularly good at picking up cues. So even when... The investigator who discovered how this was working tried to stop himself giving Hans these cues. He couldn't. And so you say, what, what are the factors of 28? And uh, Hans would tap out uh, uh, 7 and 2 and so on. 
clever hands were certainly clever, but he was clever at picking up cues, even from somebody who was trying to suppress those cues. So subsequent to Hans, the uh, investigators try and stay out of the way so the the animal can't see the investigator or hear the investigator or even smell the investigator. So those problems, I think, are, are not really uh, a problem uh, for uh, modern investigations. For humans, there's arguably a more cultured method of counting. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, we have words for numbers, but are there ways in which animals are more advanced in their counting than humans are? Well, there are ways in which they are very similar if you stop them using counting words. So, for example, you can get uh, a mouse or a rat to press a lever a certain number of times, as many as 40 times. And if you ask a human to do that, but prevent him from using the counting words out loud, so, for example, by going the, 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 while, while he or she is pressing the lever, then they behave very similarly. So they'll get to around about 40, usually just over 40, showing that they can, they have at least a good estimate of what 40-ness is, both mice and humans, and indeed rats and humans. For humans, a lot of the time when we're counting or doing any kind of addition or mathematics, that's done around finance, science, or another highly numerical field. What for, what's the priority in animals when it comes to counting? Uh, well, there is all the, uh, the usual evolutionary uh, issues, uh, essentially food, sex, and the avoidance of death. Uh, so for some animals in some situations, it could be the avoidance of death. One example of this are lions in the Serengeti, investigated by Karen McComb. Now, lions are uh, live in prides. Prides are territorial, but they sometimes get invaded by lions from uh, neighbouring prides. Now, if lions fight, because they're big and strong, they can inflict serious damage on the, the, the lion that they're fighting with, can suffer serious damage themselves. However, if the pride outnumbers the intruders, then the intruders will back off and run away. And so the pride wins that particular battle without actually having incurred any serious loss. Now that means that the, the pride has to count how many of the lions are intruding and how many of them there are defending. So, for example, if there are three lions uh, that seem to be intruding and six lions defending, the six lions defending will attack the three intruding. Now, what's particularly interesting to me about this is that when lions intrude, they usually do it at dusk or in darkness, and they roar as they come in. And the lions uh, who are defending uh, can't see the lions that are coming in. So they're counting the number of roarers, if you will, uh, and comparing them with the number of their own uh, pride that they can see. So it's an abstract comparison, sort of the numerosity of the sets of seen lions compared to the numerosity of, uh, of the set of only heard lions. Now, the way this was done was quite clever. Instead of using real intruding lions, Karen Pakum set up loudspeakers 
at the uh, periphery of the pride's territory. And so she could control how many apparent intruders there were, and she could observe when uh, and if the defenders would attack the intruders. That's avoidance of death. Another example of avoidance of death is something which uh, we've been working on, which is little fish get predated by big fish. And the chances of a particular little fish being predated by a big fish is reduced if the little fish goes into a shoal of other like fish. And of course, the bigger the shoal, the more likely that that particular individual little fish is likely to survive. Therefore, the uh, the fish choosing a shoal has to decide which shoal has more fish in it than which other shoal. And we've done this experimentally in the lab, and it, we know that it works also in the wild. So these little fish can avoid predation by joining a larger shoal. That means assessing the numerosity of, uh, of the shoals that it might join. Also, being in a larger shoal means you've got a, um, a better chance of finding a mate. Uh, you've also got a better chance of finding food. So there are advantages in being able to count the number of what we call conspecifics, uh, that is, other fish in the same species, uh, in order to give yourself an advantage. Has humans' lack of need for counting to survive dampened our ability to count in any way or our ability to recognise patterns? Well, the short answer to that is no. Uh, we've, we've tested Indigenous children in Australia from two uh, different groups, the Walbury and the Anandiliagwa, who live in remote communities. And their languages don't have any counting words. But we've tested their numerical abilities and compared them uh, with the numerical abilities of children brought up in Melbourne, same age, who had learnt to count at home and in school. And we found that there was actually no difference in their abilities. So there's something that you inherit, some brain mechanism that you inherit, which enables you to do these sorts of uh, numerical assessments and numerical calculations. So we tested not only numerical comparisons, we also tested addition and subtraction and provided you do it in the right way. The, the kids in these remote communities did as well as the kids in Melbourne. Uh, a lot of the research that's been done into animals and their mathematical ability, it tends to be done with animals that are in captivity or that are in a lab setting. Is there any obvious differences between animals in captivity or domesticated animals and those in the wild and their abilities to count? Well, there are usually, they're usually different species. So you don't test lions in the lab as a rule. They're rather big, rather expensive and rather dangerous. Um, and you don't test rats and mice and guinea pigs in the wild um, because it's much easier to test them in the lab. So we can't do a direct comparison of, of that sort. I mean, the, the one time that I thought about this very seriously was in the case of uh, chimpanzees, who I said earlier were very good with numbers. But it's not at all clear why they use uh, this ability in the wild. There's very little evidence that they do use it in the wild, that maybe we're, we're missing something. To the extent that you can test the same animals in two situations, they seem to be about the same. So, for example, you can test monkeys, free-range monkeys, who, let's say, come to your testing site if they want to. 
then you can show them, for example, pieces of food going one by one into bucket A, and then other pieces of food going one by one into bucket B, and you can see how well they they can select the bucket with more pieces of food. And they're pretty good at this, and they can do it just about as well in these free-range uh, monkeys as they do in the lab. So there probably isn't any difference, but there's not been very much comparative research on this, I'm sorry to say. Something that you discussed in your book that I thought was really interesting is are all animals that have numerical abilities social or do you find it in animals that are that act alone as well? This is a terrifically good question and I was once asked this a few years ago by a student, exactly the same question, and I didn't have an answer. But I do have an answer now, which is that there are solitary animals that have been tested, and one of them is North American bears, uh, grizzlies, that live by themselves. They only interact very occasionally in order to mate, and they seem to have a, a reasonable numerical ability as well. So it probably isn't necessary for the animals to be social, but since most animals are social, clearly it helps them in their social life to uh, be able to count the number of friends or the number of enemies and make decisions accordingly. But even if you don't have to make social numerical assessments, you also have to assess, for example, uh, the amount of food up that tree versus the amount of food up the other tree. And so you do better if you uh, choose the tree with the most fruit on, because that gives you the best, if you like, bang for your buck. You get more food for the same amount of work. Something that I would imagine is a common belief is that the size of the brain will have a direct correlation to an animal's ability to count. Is is that something that's true or can that vary quite drastically? When you say size, do you mean physical size or number of neurons? Or I think number of neurons would be... Well, both, but I, number of neurons maybe been the more interesting way to to measure that. Uh, well, okay. Well, let, let's just take size for a start. As, as we as we discussed earlier, birds are as good as uh, monkeys at numerical tasks, and birds have tiny, physically tiny brains because these brains have to fit into very small skulls, very small aerodynamically shaped skulls, in order for the um, the bird to uh, uh, to fly. In, in gross terms, it doesn't really matter. Even if you look at it in terms of number of neurons, there doesn't seem to be a good correlation. So, for example, mice are very good at, at counting, at least as good uh, at lever pressing as rats. Uh, rats have brains that are twice as big as mouse brains. So there isn't a, a direct correlation. The other way you could look at this is to... Think about animals with very, very tiny brains, such as bees and ants. And we know that bees can count, and one thing that we know about their counting ability is that they can use it to uh, count the number of landmarks between the hive and a food source. And this is very useful in order, first of all, to tell their hive mates where the food is, because they need to tell them using the famous waggle dance, how far 
the food is and in which direction. And they also need to know where they are when they've got to the food source so they can plot a route back. And they have brains of about a, a million neurons, whereas we've got brains of about 86 billion neurons. So they can do some quite good counting. They can probably do better counting than that, though it's it's harder to test. And in fact, Lars Chitka at uh, Queen Mary University of London has modelled uh, the bee brain and reckons that the bee brain needs only about four brain cells properly wired up in order to do that kind of counting. I think a good way to round off is to ask, is there any animals whose numeracy ability might surprise people? Well, I would have thought bees might surprise people. (laughs) (laughs) And there's ants as well. Now, uh, one of the things we know about ants is that they can measure distance by counting the number of steps they make. At least one species of ant does this. And that's pretty well the only way it can make a good assessment of how far it's gone. And you can tell that they're counting because if you change the length of their legs in the appropriate experimental way, then they'll get uh, they'll get it wrong. So they if they go off to um, to and they find a food source, then they have to find their way back, and then at the food source you change the length of their legs. For example, by making them longer by adding a bit of hair to their legs, they won't go back to their nest they'll go beyond the nest because they've been counting their their steps going out and counting their steps coming back. But they're getting the distance wrong because the same number of steps takes them further. Now, this is a very extraordinary finding. And they're counting hundreds, perhaps thousands of steps uh, in order to uh, to do this. So, and, and they have really, really tiny brains, about a quarter of the size of a bee brain, these, these little ants. So um, I would say these are examples of very small brains with very good counting abilities. Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius. That was Brian Butterworth. To hear him tell me more about the counting ability of humans, head over to Instant Genius Extra available only on Apple Podcasts. The latest issue of BBC Science Focus magazine is out now. Pick up a copy in store or visit sciencefocus.com.